Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. You know, I hope that you have been enjoying our, spirit, our series, which has been a doctrinal series on spiritual warfare these last few weeks. I know I have, and I know many of you have, because you've actually taken the time to tell me that you've enjoyed it. But if you've missed the last couple of weeks or so, let me kind of bring you up to date a little bit. We've been going through this message titled, Know Your Enemy. And so we've been looking at demystifying some of the mystery behind this warfare thing, because for some people it is kind of a mystery kind of, of deal. And so we've been talking about some truths, just some basic truths about our enemy. So, so far we've covered four out of five, right? And a couple weeks ago, our first one was that the devil is real. The devil's real. We said that the Bible is our sole authority on all things that are absolute truth. And the Bible says that the devil is real. So regardless of what culture says about the devil, regardless of how uncomfortable it may make you feel to acknowledge that the devil is real, the Bible says that he is real and that we do battle with him every single day and that we do this battle behind enemy lines because we are waking up in his world every single day. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Let's look at it one more time. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world. There it is. What world? The world that we wake up and live in every single day. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. But see, we've been given insight. We should take that. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So the Bible tells us that the devil is is real. Second thing we learned is that the devil, though, even though he's real, he's limited, right? He is not all knowing like God is. He is not all powerful like God is. He cannot be everywhere like God is because he's not God. Now, he wanted to be God. He wants us to think that we can be like God, but he is limited. And he's limited in his authority and his power that he can use on us as his children. Third thing we learned is the battle is real. Even though the devil's limited, the battle is still very real. And he can greatly influence our lives and he can do it in a very negative way if we allow him to. And that's really what this series has been all about is realizing that we have to fight the enemy every single day. And that battle will never end this side of heaven. But remember, we concluded last week with some good news. And that is, even though we have to fight the battle every day, we win every single time. God has already given us the victory. And then the fourth thing we looked at was that victory is real. It's a real thing. It's a real thing that God wants us to understand, to realize, and to live in. First John chapter 4, verse 4 told us, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So the Holy Spirit that lives inside of each and every Christian that you received at that moment of salvation is greater than any demonic spirit that you may go up against and battle with every single day behind those enemy lines. So the victory is very, very real. Let's talk about that final truth today because it really plays into that. The victory is real, but the only way to lose is to not fight. That's our fifth point. The only way to lose is to not fight. The victory has been established by God. We've spent two weeks talking about that, right? Do you believe it? Say amen. All right, good. Now, the spiritual war is decided by God. And the only way that you lose 
is for you not to fight. God has done your part, his part. You've got to do your part, okay? Now, most of you who already know me as an individual, as a person, okay, you know a little bit about me, you know that I kind of lean a little bit toward the side of being competitive, okay, right? Uh-huh, okay, yeah. Found out who knows me now, right? All right, I do. I lean toward a little bit toward the side of being competitive, which is a Christian way of saying I hate losing, okay? I do. I hate losing. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong impression of your pastor. I'm not a sore loser. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. If I get beat, I get beat. If I lose, I lose. I don't make any excuses about it, okay? I don't lose very often because I hate losing, all right? And I'm going to tell you, I'm never satisfied, no matter what it is, being a loser. Now, can you guess what the driving force behind that is? It's winning. That's the driving force behind me hating to lose. Because, see, there's nothing worse than losing, and there's nothing better than winning, folks. It really isn't. And, see, the only way that you prove that you want to be on the winning side is when the battle's about to begin, you take up arms and you fight. You fight for it. And you should never be satisfied with losing either, by the way. Because, see, the enemy, the devil, remember, he really has no real power over you. He can only operate under consent and cooperation. Now, the group over in the uh, traditional service, by the way, traditional service now having their worship, and if you didn't know, we have two services that go on simultaneously. Uh, for those of you that are new or guests, we have service going on right now. I just got through preaching over there, and now they're doing their worship, and, and, uh, and those folks over there, they were telling me this morning about how much they're learning from this series. And I'm like, wow, you know, y'all supposed to be teaching me, you know, but, but they're learning. They said, we've even started taking notes. You've got me to take notes. So that's something right there. So I want to encourage you again to write these two words down because they're two very important words, consent and cooperation. You see, the only power and influence that Satan has in your life is the places and the spaces in which you either give him consent to operate or you cooperate with the demonic realm for them to work in those places and spaces, all right? Consent and cooperation, that's the only place that they have authority to work. Now, some of you might disagree with me on this, and if you do, you have the right to be wrong, and there's no, no problem with that. But, um, but matter of fact, a lot of theologians, they can't agree on this, but I believe the Bible teaches that the enemy, your devil, cannot, and does not have the authority or the ability to possess you as a Christian. I do not believe the Bible teaches that. Now, I do believe the Bible teaches that they can oppress you, okay? They can oppress you. They can't possess you. You see, the devil can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. We've already established that. But the Bible clearly teaches that the devil and the demonic realm, that they can and will use their influence on you as a Christian if... If, and that's the big word, if you give them consent or you cooperate with them in the places and spaces in which they operate and they will then oppress you with their influence. Now, I really want to leave you with a clear picture today of this spiritual warfare and what it really looks like and the mindset that you should have as a Christian in this area because I believe most Christians have one of two mindsets when it comes to this spiritual warfare thing. We've already talked about the two mindsets of the general population. Now I want to narrow it down to what Christians, what their two mindsets really are. And they're both found in the book of 1 Samuel. 
in chapter 17, if you want to flip over there, 1 Samuel, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's Samuel and Samuel, chapter and Samuel. You know what it was. It was a mistake. <laughs> I hate losing. All right. All right. I hate making mistakes. But anyway, 1 Samuel 17. It comes from a very familiar story, this uh, mindset thing. And it's the story of David and Goliath. But I don't want you to check out on me just because you know this story so well and because you know how it ends. Because what I want to do today is I want to take this story of David and Goliath and I want to compare it to spiritual warfare, which is maybe something you've never done before. So hopefully you can learn something new today. And to do that, I want to just kind of recap some of the highlights and leave you with a couple of images today to take with you concerning this, all right? Because I believe God wants you to have victory over the enemy the devil, all right? So we know in 1 Samuel 17, the story begins about God's people at this time being led by King Saul, that they have been delivered into the promised land. God has delivered them time and time again. So these are God's people now living in God's promised land. These are people who knew what it felt like to be a winner, okay? They had won several times. God had proven himself over and over again to these people. If anybody should not have been satisfied with losing anything, it should have been these people. But they had been delivered to the promised land. Their home was established. All they had to do was go into homes that had already been built and live in them. All they had to do was go in and, and take the food that had already been planted and was growing, and all they had to do was eat it. I mean, they had been given the promised land and God had just told them, just go and live in my promises. But you know what? That wasn't what the people of God did. They didn't live in the promises of God because of an evil force that was around at that time. At this particular time, their enemy was called the Philistines. Remember them? They were called the Philistines, and their leader at this time was a man by the name of Goliath. He was what they called their champion because he was such a military person. He'd won many, many military victories. And so they called him their great champion. And he really was a giant of a man. The Bible tells us he was just under 10 feet tall. Now, when you're 5'7", 10 feet tall is pretty tall. Matter of fact, I've been intimidated just watching women's beach volleyball. You know, these six foot five women, they will take your head off with that ball. These women are, they're, they're strong, okay, and big. All right? And so Goliath, he, he's, he's just under 10 feet tall. The Bible says that the armor that he wore on his body weighed 125 pounds by itself. We don't know what he weighed. All right? And that the spear, the end of his spear, the head of his spear weighed 15 pounds. That takes a lot of force to throw that thing very far. And I could throw it maybe here to the end of the stage. Y'all would all be safe. All right? But this was a big, big man. All right? He was a giant of a man. And the Bible tells us that the way that this, this warfare took place, this war that was going to go on between David and Goliath, that, that there were these two hillsides. You had God's army up on one hillside. You had the Philistine army up on the other hillside, right? And then you had this valley down in between, right? And that's where the battle really took place. It says in verse 16, look at it. It says, for 40 days, 40 days now, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion, that is Goliath, he strutted in front of the Israelite army. Now, y'all know what strut means, right? That's different from walking, you know? You know what walking is, right? You know what strutting is? Yeah, I don't have strut. I may be little, but I can strut. My wife is dying now. She wants to hide under the chair, all right? That's not a great strut, but it's strutting, all right? And that's what David did. He, I mean, Goliath, he didn't just walk out there. It says he strutted out there every day. For 40 days, he'd come down in this valley, and he would look up there at God's army, and he would taunt 
Saul's army. He would talk to people of God, and he would say ugly, nasty things about God to God's people. And he would do that for morning and night, the Bible says. So 80 times Goliath would come out there, and he put the fear into God's people. And you know what? It worked because nobody wanted to go up against this giant named Goliath. They were living in the land of milk and honey, but they weren't able to enjoy any of it because they woke up every day living in fear of the enemy who might come over and take what little land they had left. And that's where we see this first mindset. We see one mindset here, and that is God's people get dressed up every day to come out on that hillside. They come out like they're going to battle, and they get together, and they do all the chants, and they go through the pep rally, but then they never fight. They never go out there and fight. They just simply go through the motions, and they live in fear every day of being annihilated by this Goliath and this Philistine army. And so they just lived in the land of milk and honey without really living. And they decided every day when Goliath would come out and taunt them that there was no way that they could beat this giant. There was no way that they had the power to go up against such a mighty force. And so they just stood there in hopes that he wouldn't come on through the valley and try to come up the other hillside. I believe that's the mindset of a lot of Christians today. I really do. You know, we get all dressed up. We go up the hill every Sunday. We raise a hallelujah. We shout every now and then. We might say amen if I unction you enough, you know, for one. We get all fired up every now and then. But, you know, Monday through Saturday, we live in defeat. We live in defeat. We aren't living in the victory that God has promised us. We live in defeat because the enemy in the land has oppressed us to thinking that we don't have enough power over him to claim the victory in our everyday lives, folks. That's one mindset. There's another mindset, though. And we know it's when young David came along to fight Goliath, right? We know he later became King Saul, but at this point, he's still young David. He's been given the menial task of looking after the flock, right? And taking up food and water to the mighty warriors of God up there on that hillside. His brothers being a, a lot of them, right? And so that was his job. Well, one day when he was making his DoorDash delivery, he heard one of Goliath's rants. And he heard this, this Philistine cursing their God. And I'm telling you what, David got upset about it. He didn't like him talking bad about his God. He didn't like him talking bad about his army. He didn't like him talking bad about his people. You ever get that way about some things in your life? Well, I'll tell you more about Jesus, amen? But he didn't like it at all. He didn't like it at all. So he said, I'll go out there and fight that Philistine. Well, everybody thought he was kind of showing off a little bit, being a little braggadocious and, and all. But, you know, David said, no, that's not the case. Y'all don't know some things about me. Y'all don't know, but when I've been tending that flock, God has given me the power at times when it was needed that I've killed bears, I've killed lions through the power of God. And I tell you what, folks, through the power of God, I'll go out here and I'll slay this pagan Philistine giant. I'll whoop his hiney. All right? Just let me add him. Well, you know how the story ends, but don't, don't leave me yet, okay? Don't leave me. I know you know it, but hang with me for just a couple more minutes, all right? Remember, they don't have TV. There's not a Megatron, Supertron, whatever Tron you call that thing spread across the two hillsides there where they can watch it in 4K high definition what all is going on. So they're, they're just looking at it. God's army, the Philistine army, they're looking down in this valley. Two groups standing there watching from a distance. And I love the way the Bible says that David did. The Bible says that he didn't just stroll down there. Remember how Goliath been strutting out there every day? David didn't just stroll down there or approach Goliath timidly. I think what David probably did, I think he said, hey, y'all give me a G. And both sides said, G. I think David ran, ran out there and said, give me an O. And both sides said, oh. 
And he said, give me a D. And the Philistine army said, what? That ain't how you spell Goliath. Well, that's not really how it happened, I don't think. But anyway, it was good. I felt good about it. Verse 48 tells us what really did happen. It says, as Goliath went to attack David, that David ran toward him. Look at it. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Now remember, everybody's watching this from the hillside. All right, And they can't see everything very, very clearly. But what they do see is they see these two men running toward each other. This one little scrawny dude about my size and then this 10-foot giant. And they see David and he's doing this right here with his sling. And he's, he's not just standing there. He's, he's running. You think these Olympics or something? Man, David was awesome. He'd gold medal all the way. And he's swinging his sling around. And I'm telling you what, they're watching him do this and all of a sudden they see it stop. And then the next thing they see from this distance, now they're up on these hillsides, they see this giant of a man fall to the ground face down. Now again, they, don't, they can't see the detail. They don't know what's happened. They don't know if he's dead. They don't know if he's stunned. They don't even know if David hit him. Maybe he just missed him. Maybe Goliath, because he's running, big old galoot that he was, you know, maybe he tripped over a stump or a rock that was sticking out of the ground and he just fell down for a minute. But we know that David's rock hit him right in the forehead, right? And it sank in deep and it caused Goliath to fall to the ground. In regards to whether he was dead or just stunned, the Bible says next what David did is he went over and he used Goliath's own sword and he cut off Goliath's head. And I believe when he did, he took that head and he took it and he showed it to that Philistine army. He said, here's your champion. And then he took it and showed it to God's army. He said, there's the one you've been scared of. Well, as soon as the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they tucked tail and ran. These guys had been sneering and jeering behind old Goliath all this time, but still staying up on the hillside. Remember that? Our, our enemy is limited, folks. He's not as real as we think he might be as far as his power over us. They were just standing up there behind old Goliath, but when they saw that he was dead, they took off running in the opposite direction. And then all of a sudden, this army of God, who had been scared to death for 40 days... Right? And they'd been standing there in hopes that nobody would come over there on their side. They took off running after him. Now, all of a sudden, they're fired up and ready to go. Little old David went down there and done cut off Goliath's head. Let's go get them, boys. And they took off after him. The Bible says they didn't just take them on the hillside, but they chased them from town to town to town, and they killed many of them along the way. And they went back, and they claimed the land that had been stolen by their enemy, and they reclaimed it back to themselves. And I believe that's that second mindset. I believe that's the mindset that God wants the New Testament church to have today. That is where we run after the enemy, we run to the enemy, and we claim back what the enemy has taken from us. That's the two mindsets, folks where one week after week we can run away in fear of the enemy or the others where we run forward to claim the victory that God has given us. So the question today is, which mindset do you have? Now, I didn't ask which one do you want to have. I didn't ask which one should you have. I asked which one do you have. Which mindset are you living in every single day that you wake up behind enemy lines? You see, when it comes to spiritual warfare, do you just go through the motions or do you plunder the enemy? 
Are you just going through the motions? Or are you claiming back what the enemy has stolen from you? And are you living in the victory that he's already promised? I want to conclude today's message with two thoughts, which means about another 10 minutes, so don't get excited. All right? First image is this, glass sword. I want you to think about it. The very source of intimidation for 40 days, twice a day, 80 times, Goliath had come out there with that sword and held it up to intimidate the people of God and to strike fear into their heart. And yet it was the very thing that was used to kill him and defeat him. What a great reminder that what Satan intends for evil, God will use for the good. And that's the image I want you to see today as you see that sword. Because I believe there are things in your life that the enemy, Satan, the devil, has been using to intimidate you for maybe even years to keep you from serving him and living in the victory he has promised. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's a terrible injustice that was done to you. Maybe it was an abusive situation that you had absolutely no control over. Maybe it was a failed relationship. All of these things, the enemy has intended to harm you and to hurt you and to keep you from living in the victory that God wants you to have. Because see, I believe these are the exact things that God will use to bring about good in this evil world, folks. I believe that's how it works. You know, we've got many people serving in our church today that have struggled through these hurts. They've gone through these processes. They've gone through counseling processes. They've gone through these things in their life where they understand that they're broken, but they're still usable and that God will still use us despite of all these things that the enemy wants to hold over our head. And so they serve and they help others find victory in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. You're still struggling to get over these things that the enemy is trying to hold over your head. Well, so I'm grateful that Eastern Heights is a church where the hopeless can find hope in Jesus. I'm glad that Eastern Heights is the kind of church where the helpless can find help in Jesus. Now, are we perfect in these things? Absolutely not. We are far from it. But you know what? That's our goal. And that is our message to the community out here. That's why we exist, is to be a life-changing church to people whose lives need to be changed. And maybe it begins with you today because you know what? David's story ought to be our story. It should. David's story ought to be our story. But how many churches out there are not living like that? We're living like we're still being taunted and defeated instead of living in victory. David's story ought to be our story. We need to run to the enemy and take the plunder. So whatever the pain of your past is, let God use it for his glory. So that's the sword. Next thing I want to talk to you about, I'll leave you with this. It's Goliath's head. Goliath's head. You know, after David cut off Goliath's head, he showed it to both armies. He said, Here, here's the one you were behind. He's been defeated. Here's the one you were scared of. He's been defeated. And verse 54 tells us, of 1 Samuel 17, that David didn't just leave it there. He didn't just leave the head and sword there. Matter of fact, he took both of them as trophies of war, which was common to do back in that day. But what was a little bit different was he took the sword and he put it away, but he kept the head with him. And everywhere he went, 
He had Goliath's head and he was showing it off. He wanted to make sure that the people knew it wasn't just a rumor that your enemy has been defeated. Here's his head. And it got nasty after a while, I'm sure. And it was gross. But he took it from town to town to town, showing everybody that the enemy had been defeated because he wanted God's people to know that victory had been won. Now, the Bible tells us when they got back to Jerusalem that the head was done away with. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us the story I'm about to tell you, but many believe it to be true because a lot of historians tell this same story. It's just not recorded in the Bible. It doesn't really say in the Bible, so we don't really know. But it could be possible that this is what happened. Some writers say that they took Goliath's head and they buried it outside of Jerusalem. We know that they, he took it to Jerusalem, but some writers say that they buried it just outside of the city in a place that came to have a proper name. And that place became known as Golgotha. Okay, it didn't have a name before this time, but it became known as Golgotha. And if you look at the etymology of the word Golgotha, it doesn't really uh, have a real meaning. That is, it doesn't come from any other existing words that existed at that particular time. And so many believe that this place called Golgotha actually literally means Goliath of Gath. And it's the place that some believe Goliath's head was actually buried. Now, we know that place to be called the place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary, the place where Jesus would ultimately sacrifice his life on a cross in order to bring the fulfillment of God's plan. Because, see, Jesus was the good and better shepherd. Jesus was the good and better David. See, Jesus was the one who forever defeated that giant that tries to intimidate us in our lives and to keep us from living in the victory that God wants us to live in. So could it be true that the place where 1,500 years earlier the enemy thought he had won was the very place where his skull was buried? And could it be true and it was that same place that the enemy thought he had won again when he killed Jesus on the cross, or he thought he did. But what the enemy we know meant for evil, God meant for the good of all mankind, right? And Jesus didn't stay dead on that cross and defeated. He rose again. He rose again victoriously. He lives with authority now, and he told his disciples then, and he tells us today, you know what? I have defeated the enemy you don't have to be afraid any longer. The enemy is defeated. Well, even if David, on his way into Jerusalem, even if David just simply tossed the head of Goliath, we know he had it for a long time, even if he just tossed that head to the side of the road as trash, the truth of God's word still stands today, folks, and that is our enemy was defeated. And Jesus defeated all our giants and all of our enemies on the cross the day that he died and rose again victoriously and with authority over the Satan. So the only question is today for each of you and for me is will you take up arms in defeating our enemy? Will you take up arms? Will you reclaim the lands that have been stolen from you, whether it's the lands of your personal life, or the lands of your workplace, or your community, or your school, or wherever it may be, will you just take up arms and reclaim the land? Does it have a new meaning now? 
this story of David and Goliath? It does for me. Matter of fact, I want you to visualize Jesus right now. And to do that, you might just want to close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to visualize Jesus. And I want you to take on this new mindset concerning the enemy. That is one of victory instead of defeat. I want you to visualize not Jesus dead on the cross and defeated, but ascending into heaven to prepare a place for all those who believe in him. And as he's ascending up into heaven, Satan and all the demons of hell are just scattering everywhere because they realize they have been defeated once and for all, folks. That's the mindset I want you to visualize when it comes to Jesus. And then I want you to get another mindset when it comes to visualizing church, okay? I want you to visualize not just going through the motions, but taking up arms and waging war against our enemy, folks. It's time. Let's pray. God, you have shown us through your word today that the only way to lose this battle with our enemy is to not fight. And God, we need to get a new mindset which starts with hating to lose and understanding that we have already been given the victory. And then, God, we need to take up the fight. We need to run to our enemy, take it to him in no uncertain terms, and tell him that he is defeated. And we need to do that every single day because we're waking up behind enemy lines. We don't have a choice of the fight, but we can claim the victory. God, may we make the commitment today to fight, to fight, to fight and to claim and reclaim all those great things that you have for our lives, for our church, for our community, and for your kingdom. We are victorious today in Jesus Christ, and that's the way we leave today. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask it. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Listen, I hope you're here for next week's message. We've been talking about knowing your enemy. Next week, we're going to talk about, and the week after that, we're going to talk about know your weapons, okay? Because if you're going to go to battle, you need to know what you're going to fight with, and you need to know how to fight with them. So we're going to be talking in Ephesians 6 for the next couple of weeks about the weapons of our warfare. If you have a prayer need or you have a decision that you might need to make uh, for Christ today, uh, a couple of members of our prayer team, they're going to be over here to my right, to your left, and, and they'll be here to pray with you, to talk with you answer any questions that you might have uh, immediately following our service and I encourage you to do so if you have that need. Let's all stand together as we're dismissed and I remind you we have a very quick call business meeting concerning voting on Jordan as our worship leader, our, our interim and we are so grateful for the great job y'all are doing. Thank you Charlie and, and Lauren and, and uh, Logan for uh, backing her up and being a part of this great, great ministry God's building here at our church. God bless you. Let's sing together. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.